0: Welcome everybody to the Fine Flow Podcast. I'm your host Sean McDermott. <laughs> uh, Bill Driscoll. Bill, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. How about yourself? Good. You have a good week.
1: Yeah, it's been a good week. It's been busy. Lots of going. Lots going on, which are good problems to have. So, I, you want me to awesome. uh, cover so, this uh, first first article here? Yeah,
0: yeah. You uh, you seem pretty excited about this one, so I'll let you jump in and, and lead off.
1: Yeah, sure. So. Um, The first article we chose was from uh, the CTO and founder of Dynatrace, really about how to drive more effective automation with a new approach to AIOps. And I think, you know, he, 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 uh, mentions the new approach, which I I don't know if it's new, but it's really boil the ocean approach. It's the whole, the whole key here is it's about scope. And I think we might, we mentioned Dynatrace in the past. They're really one of a few vendors that are are really aspiring to kind of eat, eat everything, right? They, they want, metrics, logs, traces, but go well beyond that to the user experience and tests and, and and any kind of context data and really pull that under one umbrella. And so he's really espousing this vision of, you know, if you're not eating it all, you're not pulling it all in and bringing in the data, you're not structuring it, you're not putting the right context to it, and it's all in one system, then you're really only going to, you're missing a big part of what AIOps is all about. Um, and so and so Dynatrace, as we know, it's doing infrastructure monitoring, application, digital experience, as well as the business, bringing in business data. And so he talks about biz, dev, sec ops is really that vision. Um, and so I, I think that's really what he's promoting here. And like I said, Dynatrace is one of those, that one of the few that are really going after that, where there's a lot more niche vendors doing pieces of it. Um, but, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts as to as to what you thought of the article and kind of what he's espousing.
0: Yeah. So for me, um, <laughs> the first thing is biz dev sec ops. I mean, how many words can we stick right. together in one one thing? But uh, I w- I won't harp on the, on the grammar side of this. The um, you know, what I oh, there's a couple of things that I that kind of stood out to me here, and 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 what I liked about it was the fact that he was he was talking about AI ops in a broader mm-hmm. sense. And not just use cases, kind of standard use cases of, of event collection, incident management, which I think is very important for people to understand. if you're doing what we would suggest you do at looking at ops mm-hmm. as a strategy, and when you start looking at it as a strategy, it starts becoming much bigger than event management, correlation, uh, incident management. And that's where a lot of the ops vendors today are so this is um I, I think this is a really key thing, not necessarily uh really super important today as people are getting into AI ops because I think that if you're gonna get if you're if you're thinking about getting into AI ops right now and bringing in you know machine learning technology, picking a couple use cases and picking the kind of standard use cases like mm-hmm. event management is a good thing um uh, but understanding a broader vision, I think yeah. so I like that. Um, I like the concept. He made, a, he made a statement called AIOps is what it eats uh, back to the data, right? It's, it's, it's only as good as the data you can feed into it. And I think he makes a really good point that unstructured data can be very difficult and the data sources are very, can be mm-hmm. extremely varied across different data silos. So being able to structure that data and create some type of common data model is really important. So that is really important when you start looking at the broader context of data consumption in AIOps. So if you're looking at a use case, you can say, well, we're going to consume, you know, three or four streams with the mainstream being something like Splunk. Then that's that's okay, but it's not going to scale, right? It's not going to scale when you start looking at microservices and things like that. And I, I think he brings up... So I I get okay. a lot of questions. So I'll stop there. Did I? Because um, yeah. I got some other thoughts, but I don't want to yeah. like. No, uh, I, I think I that all makes sense. Of you. Um,
1: yeah, I was and, and, I was going to say that. Um, I think that's I lost my train of thought here. Um, you know, one thing you did say about structured and unstructured—that was one of the things I was going to highlight. That I think bringing in structured data is 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 important and figuring out how to structure it. And he talks about open telemetry and standards can contribute to that. But of course, big vendors are doing that as well. Um, But I think one of the biggest points that he didn't directly say, but knowing what we know about Dynatrace is it's about how do you bring all this information together into into a user operational experience? Because it isn't just the AI and the machine learning that needs to understand that context. It's really the operator when the result, when they're working on an event, they need to be able to see, well, what is the transactions? What's happening there? What's happening with the performance data? I need to look at the topology. I need to see the relationships between the events. I need to see probable causes or symptoms. And so I think there's tools like this that it's not just the algorithms. It's what are, Those algorithms aren't just driving automation. They're driving the operator experience and pulling all that information together and putting it in context when you're dealing with an issue or you're troubleshooting or you're trying to work on some sort of optimization. And so I think that that's a key point that he didn't directly say, but I think that uh, is just as, just as valid. Uh, valid.
0: Yeah. I, I think clearly he, w- with this article, he was focused on the the data consumption, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, he makes a point and I think this is a, a good point that he brought up because I get a lot of questions on uh, around complexity and, and why is this so, com- why can this be so complex? And the example he gives uh, is the, in in you know days of past, right? There were more monolithic type systems out there that were collecting data and doing some type of normalization and forwarding that information on or using that data. So like the days of Micromuse and any of these old legacy event management platforms, you would just kind of point data to it, whether or pull pull things based on SNMP. But as we move into as we move into, uh, as cloud, it became more and more important and you start looking at containers and microservices, he brings up a really, really good point. And that is there hasn't been any kind of consistency of instrumenting some of these applications from an observability perspective. So mm-hmm. dev teams are kind of on their own to basically say, hey, here's, here's I've added a few lines of code that allow you to pull data, but there was no structure to it. There was no commonality of data structure so it puts it on the the puts it on the onus of the operations team Mm -hmm. to build systems to to then transform that data and he talks about open telemetry which i think is is a really interesting topic around compatibility standardizing um, monitoring and observability aspects so that when a devops team application teams are building applications and they're they're trying to put in code related to observability. They have a standard by which they can do that that allows downstream collection of data much much easier. So right. uh, he brings up a lot of really good points with this mm-hmm. and uh, this article and um, and around the data model. And I know that in, in my past life, you know, when we started RealOps in in the early two thousands and we were integrating into all these different applications, it became very, uh, we built a common data model, right? Because mm-hmm. when we were integrating into four or five or six or seven different monitoring systems, the structure of that data coming in, we couldn't do any kind of uh, standardized process automation or workflow because we had to get everything into a common language first. So we had a transformational mm-hmm. layer that brought in all this data and you know something might be called an ip address another one might be called host id we had to basically convert that into a common data model and then all our workflow fed off of that it's the same thing happening here in ai ops with this data is that we're consuming lots of data the data has to be um has to be transformed into a common model so that you can you can start writing fewer algorithms to do more things
1: yeah, you can't, I, I'm thinking of the UN as you're, as you're talking, you can't have the UN of data, right? Then you, then you, you there's no such thing as AI diplomacy. So just a side note there that I think that you <laughs> you got to standardize, you got to get on the same language, the same format. And that's really what machine learning algorithms are are trained to do, right? Not to just, not to interpret just any kind of random format out there. So you, you bring up, uh, there's yeah. a second article. And I, and I think like I said, go ahead, Sean.
0: No, just kind of one last thought on that. You know, not to not to beat a dead horse, but I think that it it ultimately um, it may not matter right now, right? So if you're basically saying I'm going to cre- I'm going to um, work on an AI ops initiative with a particular use case, and I have a discrete number of data sources that I'm going to kind of be working with, it may not be as important. But when you look it down the road. Thinking about the common data model and how you're going to do all this and how you're going to transform this data and clean the data before it gets into your AI um, models is going to be really key. And I think as we talk to customers about the vision of AIOps, they need to understand that and kind of put that into the mm-hmm. track of long-term scalability. So Great. I will end on that note because I could go on this yeah. all day. So speaking of other time. other
1: large vendors that are out there trying to play in the space of AIOps, I think the second article is from another, another one of those.
0: Yeah. So it's a, it's actually an interview with the CTO of BMC, um, Ram Shaka Ravardi, Shaka Ravardi. Um, uh, Full disclosure. I actually used to work at BMC. Um, We sold my company to BMC in mid two thousands and I worked there for a year. Uh, I don't know Ram uh, and he was not CTO when I was there, but Yeah. So this is kind of, this is an interview. I won't spend a lot of time on this, um, but there was a couple of things that, because most of this is, I I think this was a lead up to uh, the AI and big data expo global, which is going to be in September, 2001, or sorry, 2001, 2021 in London. I don't, uh, I don't know much about this, this expo coming up, and I don't know how well it's going to be attended, but the, I don't even know if it's live at this point, but, um, So I think this was a lead-up article to that, and they were talking about um, BMC's new. uh, They coined this new phrase called "autonomous digital enterprise." Um, Okay, I I think you know, I I think that's um, you know, maybe it will it will turn into something, or maybe it's just a marketing term that they're basically going around talking about. Uh, uh, I mean, they were the uh, they were the basically the architects Mm -hmm. of business service management BSM back in you know the you know, two thousands. Yeah. So I don't know how much, uh, how this term autonomous digital enterprise is going to become, you know, a common term in the market, but, you know, BMC does have some experience with business service management and coining that term back in the two thousands, which lasted a pretty long time, but he, he, you know, and and he talks about, you know, the value of, of AI ops, all the things we talked about, you know, processing, large amounts of data, you know, automating manual, tasks, things like that, won't go into that. Um, But he did bring up something that I thought was, he he brought up the idea of talent management and we've had this conversation a lot, right, about, um, and how AIOps is gonna, you know, organizations are gonna need to embrace new approaches to talent management, Mm -hmm. uh, optimize technology spending. We've talked about that and I think we're gonna be talking about more of that in the future, but he did bring up something that I thought was, and I'm not sure he even meant to, but it was kind of interesting and kind of got me thinking. Um, this idea of, of, of tackling social engagement, right. And I think what he was saying was a automated, what was the term? Automated digital enterprise is going to be pulling data from a lot of different sources. And it kind of got me thinking that we, as it operations, people were looking at instrumentation of, of systems and data, um, and pulling all that data, but there's another facet of this, and that is. Can we start mm-hmm. looking at social engagement? Can we start looking at uh, text, um, text analytics of uh, surveying and things like that to understand how we're doing and bring that into the operations environment? So for example, if you're a large company like Apple, right? And you're surveying your customers on the performance of some of the services, whether it be Apple Music or Apple TV, things like that, that require, you know, internet connections and it's an online Mm -hmm. experience. It would be interesting to start tapping into those surveys and looking for sentiment and things like that and pulling that into the operational environment. Uh, And I think there's a lot of ways that organizations can start looking outside Mm -hmm. of traditional IT environment to, uh, for new, new points of data that we haven't thought about in the past.
1: Yep. No, I totally agree. I I wrote down a note when I read about that and customer engagement and social media data kind of really playing in here is, you know, if you're in it. And the customer experience is good and it's trending to be good overnight and you've got this IT protect issue potentially you can go home and just deal with it tomorrow right and so i think that ultimately you know IT you can constantly be chasing performance we can constantly be facing resolving things you know but a lot of ITs built resilient in a resilient way uh, and and really if the customer is not experiencing a, you know or they're not getting the transcendent customer experience you know then you can you can put it off to tomorrow or you can you can resolve it you can treat it in the normal course of events um, but and so i think it is critical that it one the, the user experience the operator experience needs to get needs to see that right and say where are we actually trending downward and yeah and and re- and social media is almost twitter. is pretty real time it isn't just surveys it's there there are products out there that are constantly bringing twitter constantly bringing in comments being sta- said And that happens, you know, almost instantaneously as much as systems notify. And I think if, if, if IT can have a view into that and the critical thing is tying their services and the service catalog or the portfolio and, and the performance of that to the data that's coming in from social or customer engagement, I mean, that that's invaluable and be able to see that in the same sort of operating dashboard um, so they can make those kind of decisions. And, and ultimately what it drives is the urgency, right? Of. How how quickly do we need to respond and resolve in, uh, those issues? So, I mean, I think a lot of his theme, like in the last article, was 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 about breadth of scope, and I think it's the same thing here as well. Mm-hmm. He talks about IoT and manufacturing and cell towers, and the talent is really not just applying AI to the IT, but it's AI to customer sentiment, to social media, and then the non IT. Yeah, he definitely hit more on the IT specific stuff, right?
0: Um, and We've talked a lot about instrumenting IoT and, and uh that's I mean that's a key thing, right? I mean that's a, a key value proposition of, of, of AI ops. But the social the social aspect, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I think I mean certainly as an IT organization, you don't want to be relying on your customers telling you when to have a problem, right? You wanna be kind of the point of AI ops and processing all this mass amounts of data is to be looking at um, you know, outages and predictability of outages, but being able to pull in, um, sentiment, because I know I've gone on Twitter a few times looking for status on something to see if other people are having problems, even if it's like in the neighborhood, you know, you're, so these social aspects have actually morphed into not just, um, not just, um, a way of connecting people kind of asynchronously, but becoming real time, um, real-time temperature gauges of what's going Mm -hmm. on out there. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, you know, a lot of work that we do in cybersecurity, we're starting to kind of look at, you know, reputational analysis of, of uh, vulnerabilities and, and that, you know, so I think it's kind of the same type of element. So it's an area I'm going to be keeping my eye on. I thought it was just an interesting part of that article, probably to me the most interesting thing. And, um, yep. So that was, uh, that's what I had on that.
1: Great. All right. Good. Well, the, the last article we had here was kind of the main topic we want to talk about. It was written by somebody we know. I know a few weeks ago we covered an article I had written. Um, and this time, you know, an article you published last week, Sean, um, at, under the Forbes, kind of as a council member of, at Forbes and as a CEO of Windward uh, Consulting Group. So the, the, title, the title of the article you wrote was Ai Ops Gives You an Innovative and Competitive Edge. But not before overcoming these roadblocks. Um, you know you talked about a couple key roadblocks about you know how, the, how we get to the ROI of AI ops you know also the cultural mind shift and you talked a lot about culture and really adopt the adoption of that as well as a few other things. but uh, you know I thought it'd be interesting to get maybe you give us an overview as to, to w- why you wrote the article and what you were really trying to get across
0: uh, Well first of all I heard the author is a very prolific writer, you know so <laughs> yeah uh I think that uh, yeah i i
1: noticed I was reading
0: it for oh yeah, you read time. I think it's you read it like five it. times and boy, right It's uh, very good. you you were just you were just mesmerized by it <laughs> um yeah, I think this uh is one that got picked up by Forbes, so that was kind of fun um yeah, so I wrote this because one of the things that I see a lot with our customers is trying to figure out how to get started on these and how to build momentum. And one of the things uh, I I think a lot of people tend to, and and I myself do this and, you know, and so I'm, I'm guilty of of this too, of you kind of have this big vision and you, 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 you start visualizing what you can do and you kind of get into it and you kind of maybe get a little ahead of your skis on, getting everybody else on board to what you're you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I talked about is, is how to kind of focus in on one area. And and the other thing is, I think there's a fair amount of misunderstanding or misconceptions about AI ops, just because it starts with the words AI, right? And we've talked about this in the past where, you know, there's a certain amount of, uh, of discussion going on about AI in the world today and how it's going to change the world. And I think, I think Elon Musk said, it's the, um, it's the existential threat to human mankind, which I found super interesting because like what, two weeks ago, he basically came out and, and now or last week announced the robot, you know, uh, yeah. the AI driven robot. <laughs> yeah. So I guess he doesn't think it's, uh, such an existential threat. He can't make money off of it, but the, um, I, I think that uh, some organizations they get they, they get a little ahead of their organization, their vision, because a lot of these IT leaders, if you're a visionary, you are ahead of it people, right? And mm-hmm. you got to take time to kind of step back and say, okay, how do we take this vision, and how do I get people involved? How do I get people feeling good about it? So one of the things I wrote about is just starting small, you know, kind of the concept mm-hmm. of don't eat don't don't try and eat the whole elephant. So find a, a find a business use case and really focus in on that and and try out different platforms or different technologies and and start small right and show the value of that and I think that's going to highlight a lot of things in the organization like um, where you might have organizational issues where you might have people who are resistant to change and where you might have data problems and data cleanliness problems and where um, you may not exactly understand the the results you're trying to get to. So mm-hmm. trying to apply AI, AI ops and machine learning to a known problem uh, is a good way of starting so that you can actually have some baseline by to understand, are we meeting the problem? Is the problem being, are, are the, so let's say you start an incident management, right? Or event and learning, are we getting the results that we expected, mm-hmm. right? So it's almost like doing a science experiment, Kind of knowing what the results should be yeah. and making sure that you actually kind of get to that point, right? Because at that, that point, you're looking at speed and accuracy, and then you're getting people to see that, hey, this isn't necessarily going to impact me and my job. It may make my job more right. easier, right? So you can use it as a way and then start building mm-hmm. from there. So that was kind of the first thing I, I, I was mm-hmm. talking about.
1: Yeah, I you know to that point we just spoke earlier this this um, week with a, one of the largest um, wireless providers, and they talked about how you know really a year or two ago, it was about a three year sort of AI ops machine learning roadmap. Nowadays they're looking in three month increments and short term, and they really have sort of two pronged approach, which they've got an in house development approach to machine learning and really a whole machine learning team using open source and coding themselves while they're experimenting mm-hmm. with a few of the key vendors that they work with and looking for opportunities there. And they've kind of given up on the, the whole, like I said, eat the elephant of we're going to try to pull every metric, every log, you know, everything into a huge data lake. It's really about what's the ROI for things they do today. And they're approaching it with from a couple different perspectives of that development in-house, you know, obviously is extremely large company, but some of the, the uh, you know vendors that they're working with today. Um, and I think that that that's a much more pragmatic approach. And I think they're trying to shift that culture to you've got to get ROI and you've got to make the the objectives. You've got to bring the vision and the mission can still be there, but you've got to break it into smaller chunks and, and, and focus on what wins you can get in the shorter term. So I think, yep.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I, I like, I'm not even a golfer, but I think you can mm-hmm. equate this to golf. Right. and, you've got the match that's 18 holes and you certainly can go into the match with an idea of how you're going to play the entire course, right? And whether you're going to be aggressive off the tees or whether you're going to try and be more surgical, maybe a little less yardage because of wind conditions and things like that. Um, But Mm -hmm. ultimately you still got to play hole by hole, right? And when it comes down to it, and I think that that's one of the things that, I'm glad to see that company is doing that because I think that's the right way of doing it. Have a long-term vision, have the long game in mind, but implement, you know, in small pieces so you can understand what the impact is. And then you can always start speeding up, right? You can get bigger. And um, so the second thing I I talked about was, you know, increase operational efficiency. So start really looking at the use case and what you're trying to do uh, have a very clear idea of what the mm-hmm. results you're looking for, and um, that way you can start um, looking at um, sorry I just got a whole <laughs> bunch of shit just popped up on my screen like so i am i am going to uh, I am going to start over um, so the second thing i I talked about was increasing operational efficiency, so what I was talking about there is Um, really trying to understand how, uh, what you're trying to get out of, of a particular use case and understanding your, your, the, the intended results and the intended impact. And, and by doing that, you're able to one you're you're able to articulate that particular use case upwards and around. So people can say, this is what we're trying to achieve here and, and really start looking at, um as a primary example, operational efficiency, because you know, in the operations world, as, as you know, Bill, uh, efficiency is the name of the game, right? How, how can you do more with less? And every year that's about, so using operational efficiency as kind of the main results and impact driver uh, is, is a really good way of articulating value proposition to, to everybody on your team and even to people above you that you basically have gotten approval to say, "Hey, let's start looking at AI ops," and you're now leading it. You want to show tangible results to people, and, and using mm-hmm. operational efficiency as one of those tangible results will. But one of the things I, I took from the article, but I don't well.
1: know if you intended it, and I'm curious to get your thoughts as well. Is you you, you talk about, it's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think you if said it's a I really good it point directly I from the summary. Um, you know, that IT, IT teams need as much time as possible to innovate and improve the product, and, and then you talked later about forecasting and, and predicting challenges, and that you really you want to you know use this data to look ahead and say where where's performance trending, where are the use cases or the uses going, and where do we where do can you use AI to try to drive improving the product or innovating in the product? So. You know, I, I know we talk a lot about AI ops as being responsive to incidents and events and the performance and keep things running today well, the operating efficiency. But, you know, were you intending to talk about how um, AI ops can start being applied to providing insights into where the product needs to improve or where services need to improve so that, I, you know, IT leaders are really focusing on some of those use cases or ROI as well?
0: Yeah, I, I was actually, I was looking at, mm-hmm. um, AI as a way, uh, AI ops as a way to provide feedback loops. Right. And yeah. because ultimately, you know, if you looked at, you know, I right mm-hmm. and continual service improvement, it really is all about moving through a wheel and getting back to the point mm-hmm. of being able to increase the availability of service and the quality of the service. So I think, you know, You know aiops can actually start looking at this experience uh of some of these user experiences and provide that feedback to other organizations Mm -hmm. whether it's engineering or something like that to tweak and 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 release new offerings and get that and get that data back to back to the people who are designing these services so uh when they roll out version two version three or whatever uh they're just better right so it it has to be Mm -hmm. and i think that's a fundamental Uh, aspect of operations has always should have been maybe not as well implemented in the real world, but, you know, and, and it actually is reflected in ITIL, right? This idea of it's ultimately all about continual service improvement. And I think the more operations can bring data and information back to the enterprise architects Mm -hmm. and the engine, the, the application developers to make their product better then uh, the better the service will be and the less issues you're going to have, it just becomes this ultimately revolving loop. So I think um, AI ops plays a huge role in that, of,
1: That's of being able That's to good. do- I think that brings us full circle, doesn't it? information
0: back to, <laughs> back to the dev teams. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't help it.
0: I think it does, I think it does. So with that, I thank everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next week. So-